Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Bonjour. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. If you're new here, then um, this podcast is all about learning languages. My name is Ollie Richards, and I've learned a number of languages myself. I've lived all over the world, and what I like to do on this podcast is talk about my um, tips and ideas and advice for learning languages, and specifically, the, the thing that I like most of all is answering your questions. So listeners send any questions to the podcast, I answer them, and I do my very best to help you learn languages faster. And we have different types of people listening to the podcast. So you may be an English speaker who is learning a foreign language, but we also have many people who are learning English and listen to this podcast in order to practice their English by listening to my uh, my dulcet tones, my British English accent. And so whatever category you fall into, then welcome. But on the subject of Britishness, today we have a very special guest who also is known for teaching British English and her name is Lucy Bella Earl and she's from the the YouTube channel English with Lucy very popular channel with millions of subscribers and if you are learning English then you will know all about Lucy but today we're going to be talking about something a bit different because I recently came across a video of Lucy speaking Spanish and she speaks amazing Spanish and I had no idea about this so I decided to invite her onto the podcast to talk about not how she learned English, because that wouldn't be very interesting, but how she learned Spanish. And so I asked her about her background with Spanish, how she discovered the language, how she went about learning it, and then eventually why she moved to Spain, fell in love, and then even left Spain, came back to the UK, and what Spanish means for her now. So this is a really, really interesting insight into how a native English speaker can learn a foreign language to a very, very, very high level and what it's like to go through that experience. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Lucy. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Okay, I am delighted to be joined by Lucy Bella Earl from the wildly popular English with Lucy um, YouTube channel. Lucy, welcome to the uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So um, we're going to talk about something totally different, though. We're not going to talk about English, although I guess it might it might crop up at some point. We're going to talk about Spanish because I discovered that you speak amazing Spanish, and I had no idea because I know you from your from your from your your, your YouTube exploits where you speak English fairly well. I, I, I'll say, um, uh, but then I saw a video of you speaking Spanish, and I thought, well, that's interesting because you know we've all got this 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 reputation of you know Brits are not known for their for their language talent. Um, and yeah, every now and again, I, I, I come across people who come from the same background as me, but then have learned another language to a really, really, really high level. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, just for the sake of anybody who doesn't know you, could you give the, uh, give the, uh, the Cliff Notes version of Lucy? Oh, the Cliff Notes one. Okay. Um, so yes, I do speak Spanish. I think the video that you saw was filmed a, a while ago when I was in contact with Spanish people every day. So I wonder how much I've deteriorated since then. Well, That's yeah. the depressing thing about languages. <laughs> Don't isn't worry it? about that. that. That happens to the best of us. Um, but I I started learning Spanish at school, um, and then I eventually went to, went to study there in Seville. I'm sure I'll tell you all of this more in detail. Um, and I ended up with a Spanish partner, um, and I was meant to do a placement year over there for my university degree, which was marketing. Um, and it all went wrong and I ended up doing a teaching qualification and that's how I fell into teaching on YouTube. Um, and that's also how I learned Spanish as well. And your, your channel English with Lucy is, um, so you have millions of subscribers. Um, what was, what's the big idea behind, behind that channel? I just wanted it to be a kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship between me and the students. Cause at the time, a lot of the teachers I saw online were treating the camera as if it was whole as if it were a whole classroom of students and I really liked that but I was also watching people like Zoella at the time where you know the vlogger is in their bedroom and you're also in your bedroom and you feel like your best mates so that's the kind of thing that I wanted to do um, and there weren't many other young girls doing it either um, and I, I just wanted to try it out because I couldn't see anyone else uh, like myself doing it so yeah that's what 
that's what I did and it ended up going very very well yeah well fantastic so we'll um we'll have to have a round two sometime where I ask you about the success of that but so <laughs> funny I was going to start somewhere else but actually I want to start by I want to start with what you just said about you know I, I used to speak Spanish really well but I don't know how it is now and see so on this on this uh on this channel we talk a lot about language learning in general and one of the things that often comes up is learning multiple languages um you know I, I i'm learning french but should i speak should i learn spanish as well and what happens when you when you've learned a few languages how do you juggle them and this is something that i grapple with personally a lot which is that you know i i did a my kind of big prolific language learning was mostly in my 20s but then mm -hmm. as i got older and you know life happened um it was more and more difficult to keep languages up. And there are plenty of languages that I've learned to a quite a really good level, quite a really good, quite a good level. Um, and then, but then, you know, if you pin me down now, I kind of struggle because I literally haven't spoken them for like five, six, seven years. So how do you think about Spanish these days as part of your, your life here in the UK? Oh, I can relate with that so much. So, um, before Spanish was my life, when I was going through the the honeymoon phase with the re the relationship with the language, um, you know, it, it was all I cared about. Everything I my, I was planning my life around Spanish. I wanted to have Spanish children. I wanted to marry a Spanish man. I wanted to live in Spain for the rest of my life. Um, and then I fell in love with an English farmer, and suddenly my my life went in a different direction. And you know, being totally honest, it has felt like a bit of a sacrifice because we're on a farm in really rural England and uh, I can't just pop out, also it's lockdown, but I can't just pop out and meet up with, you know, the local group of Spanish au pairs or, and I don't live in a big city where there were, I used to live in London, there were loads of Spanish people to practice with. Uh, I don't teach in person anymore and a lot of my students were Spanish. So it's just about losing that connection really. Um, but it is something I want to amp up again um, because I don't like the feeling of kind of letting go of a big part mm. of yourself. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, that is life, right? I mean, new, new yes. things, new new seasons pass and uh, seasons pass and the new seasons arrive and then priorities change. And then, so so maybe we'll get back to that at the end, but let's, let's just, let's circle back to the beginning now. So you, from what I picked up earlier, so you said you did Spanish at school, and then let me just see if I can get the chronology right before we mm -hmm. before we dig into any details. So you did Spanish at school. Was that was that uh, GCSE? So I joined a new school. Um, in my previous school, Spanish wasn't an option. It was just French. Uh, and I joined a new school when I was 13. And there you had to take two languages. So obviously I took the French that I already knew. And then I had to join this, these Spanish classes. And everyone else had done two or three years of Spanish, albeit schoolgirl Spanish. Um, and I was just thrown in at the deep end. I didn't really have any support to help me catch up and I absolutely hated it. Uh, but one day, it sounds silly, but one day it just clicked. When we were going through the verb tables, I suddenly saw the logic in it and I thought, oh, actually, I think, you know, this is almost like a formula that you have to learn. Hmm. Uh, it's, not, it's not, you know, this difficult art. Um, it became a difficult art after you've learned the basics. So, yeah. um, and I started begrudgingly making an effort in the classes. And then I really, really got the bug, the bug for it. Um, and I started to see what Spain was like. I'd never been to Spain. That was a, a big issue, but my parents, um, we, we were visiting my grandparents in Portugal and they decided to, instead of flying on an airplane, we'd take a, a ferry and drive through all of Spain to get to Portugal instead. And I thought, oh, what a detour, but they were doing it so that I could experience a bit of Spain. And I had to order in all the restaurants and things like that. And after that, I was completely sold. I think the issue was that I was learning this language and I didn't know what it was for. It was just to pass an exam. Um, but once I suddenly thought, oh my word, you know, if I learn this language, I'll be able to speak with all these people. Um, yeah, that was a big, a big part of learning the language for me. Uh, and then I opted. And you're, and you're how old at this point? 16? I was 14, I think. 14. Okay. Ended up doing quite well at my exams as well. Because I just, at that point, I was looking at it as something. Before we, I went to Spain, I was looking at it as some something to pass. I just looked at the 
exam perfect answers, made a few tweaks and, and learned how to vomit that onto a page. And then yeah. when I went there, I thought, oh, I want to learn the nuances of this. So by the time I was 16, I was doing A-levels in Spanish. And that's when I started to really fall in love with the language. Okay, yeah. because So, so for, for our non-British uh, listeners, so GCSE is basically high school up to about 16. And then yes. high school go later. I, I get confused with these different things. But so GCSE is 16 and A-levels is two years before up, up to university. So you're what, 16, 17, 18 at that, at that time. Okay, so you did Spanish A level, so that I mean, that's that's a lot more intense, isn't it? A level, so yes. And I was so what lucky. What happened in those two years? Well, I went to this school. in In the UK, we have catchment areas, so you can only go to the school that is nearest to where you live. Uh, and my local school didn't offer Spanish at A level, um, so I actually went to a different school just to take Spanish. It was still a state school, um, and I mean, you'll know this, languages just aren't popular in, in British schools. Um, and it's a real shame. And in my class, I remember there were three languages on offer at that school. German had one student <laughs> in this whole year of 500 students. One person took German, two people took French, and there were three of us taking Spanish. So I thought, oh, this is so annoying. We're in such a small class when actually it turned out to be the most amazing experience because there were three of us with two teachers <laughs> learning Spanish. So we got the most incredible amount of attention and all of these opportunities. And it just made us all fall in love with it even more. And I'm still in contact with those people from those classes and they've wow. both gone on to live in Spain. Yeah. Blessing in disguise then. Yeah. Definitely. I, uh, I, get, the, I get the impression that languages are, a lot le are becoming more and more unpopular now. Cause I think mm. back when I was at school, um, I mean, it wasn't exactly everybody's first choice, but there were still quite a lot of people doing modern foreign languages. I think now it's even I mean, over the last 10, 20 years or so, it's gone even, got declined even more. Um, but that sounds like a fantastic opportunity. So is it fair to say you're still kind of in study mode at this point then during A-levels, or did you actually have chance to really use the language in a, in a, in a natural way? Well, at this point, I was working in a local pub as a waitress every Saturday and I lived in such a remote village. If I wanted to go to a shop, I'd have to ask my parents to drive 20 minutes or something. So there wasn't really anything to spend my money on that I was earning. So I used to save it all up and eventually I had enough money to pay for a language course. And for some reason, <laughs> I remember asking my, my Spanish teacher, which city do you think is the coolest city in Spain and she said Seville so I picked Seville <laughs> um, and I went yeah it was it really shaped my life actually that answer um, so I saved enough money to do a week long intensive language course in a in one of my half terms so that was a week break from school and I went over there it was in August which is the worst time to finish to actually was that my summer holiday at first yeah it was in august yeah, pretty the worst brutal Seville in august <laughs> yeah. is like 40 degrees isn't it? yeah i struggled but it was amazing and i met loads of people from seville and i kept in touch with them via whatsapp and eventually i kept going back and doing this again and again and again so i'd work for four months save up enough money wait till it was a break from school and go out there and this was when i was 16 17 and i think i went three times in total um, all self-funded. My parents were supportive. <laughs> I think that they never cared about languages at all. So they were a bit, you know, surprised that that's what I chose to do with my money out of everything. Um, but it was amazing. I met so many friends and then eventually I met the guy that would then go on to be my partner for four years. Um, and we ended wow, up- when you were, so when you were 16 or so, that's quite early. 17 when I met him, oh. yes. Yeah, it was early. I was go-getter. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's striking that you had that was just you had this irrational passion for for yeah. for Spanish. It's funny because I've, I've been I've been recently on my on my YouTube channel. I've been um, looking, taking people who have been phenomenally successful with, with often one language in particular, just looking, trying to kind of break it down and see, OK, well, what you know, what is it? What is it actually? Is it the method? One of the things I've kind of I've realized is that actually is usually not the method it usually comes down to a, a real irrational love for the pa for the passion for the language that 
that's just I'm very uncommon and then this kind of drive to do whatever it takes to learn and and then when you've got that kind of motivation the method is almost secondary because you'll just power through like whatever happens so it sounds like you were very much like Spanish was really something that just had grabbed you oh I was so hungry for it and I think part of the fact that I lived in such a rural location, I think there were two people my age within 10 miles of where I lived, maybe, or 10 kilometers. In the yeah. UK, this is? Yes. Yeah. That they're just, you know, I didn't actually have so many local friends in my own language. So I did kind of think, well, maybe I can go to Spain and just start again over there. Um, yeah, I really love their lifestyle. I love their food. Um, I found that I didn't feel so, you know, I never really enjoyed school or being at school at all. But when I went over there, I really felt that I fitted in. I felt really funny as well. Even though I didn't know the language, I felt funnier in Spanish than I did in English. So yeah, it was just a really, really strong desire to be over there. And I knew that in order to do that, I had to learn the language, but it wasn't that I had to either. It was just, these were the natural stepping stones to get to to where I wanted to be. So you are 16, 17, you're going to Spain every summer, you've, you've met a guy, you are presumably speaking Spanish pretty fluently at this point. Yes, I'd say by 18, I was, you know, more or less fluent, whatever that may be. Um, and then it was the years after that, probably my, the next two years, I became really quite fluent to the point where I could very comfortably converse with native speakers speaking at full velocity and then I'd say in when I was 19 that's when I lived in for a year in Seville with my partner that's when I felt that I hit you know the, the absolute peak and that people would ask me where are you from are you, are you from here and and things like that and that was a, a real buzz so you kind of reach peak fluent at around around 19 which is which is interesting and and then so um what what happened from, because that's an interesting, because what you're really describing there is a kind of process of mastery, really. You know, if we, if we can, if we can use the word mastery to describe that point where natives start asking you, hang on, are you Spanish or, or what? It's, it's kind of arbitrary, but let's use that as the, as the kind of the, the peak in, in terms of a place where any person will be proud to get to in a language. What accounts for the difference between confident, fluent Lucy at 17, and then master Lucy at master mistress. What should I say? Um, I'd say one of the main things was really adopting uh, regional phrases. So I spent a lot of time with my partner's grandmother, for example, and she would, she wouldn't correct herself around me because she didn't know any different. I was probably one of the only native English speakers she'd ever met. Um, and so picking up those things and just hearing them in context again and again and again and learning like a baby, basically, no one was explaining what these things meant. I just had to kind of work it out for myself, because if you ask them to explain some of their idiomatic phrases, they wouldn't know how to They'd say, well, that's what it is. That's what it means. Um, so that was part of it. And also I used to be really fascinated with people's mouths when they were talking. So I always I remember people telling me like, stop looking at my mouth, look at my eyes. Um, but I wanted to, I noticed at some point, this was a breakthrough moment. I noticed that the way they said D's was different. I'd put my tongue back and go duh. And they would go duh like that, uh, which I'm sure for the people just listening is very, doesn't help at all, but it was a different tongue placement and mouth shape. And they would speak with their mouths more open. I could see kind of a Spanish person talking without any sound and know that they were Spanish because I could see, I could recognize the the tongue placement and the mouth shapes that they were making that we just didn't make in English. And when I started mimicking that, at first I think I forced it a little bit and then afterwards it came naturally. Um, that's when I made a real breakthrough moment. I don't think at any point, um, I don't think at any point I would have been, people would have completely confused me for a native speaker uh, because I just, I, I made mistakes all the time. And there were sometimes I still struggle with certain sounds like the er sound in Spanish. I, I know that I sound quite British when I say it. Um, but I think 
especially when people had had a drink and I started speaking and when I'd had a drink as well, <laughs> there were moments of confusion because obviously I don't look typically Spanish. Well, I was going to say that, I mean, the thing is when you, if we're talking about being confused for a native speaker, it's very, very subjective, right? But one of the kind of non-linguistic, one of the, one of the, the genetic barriers to being confused but for a native speaker is actually you've got to get over that first impression hurdle. So you don't, mm. you don't look like your classic Spaniard. Um, no. Although I, although I have met, funnily enough, I have met quite a few Cubans who are kind of very blonde, very white, yes. like yeah. by both of us, um, which is I don't know, not quite sure why that happens. But you've got because of the way you look, your 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 people's first impression is I, I imagine often going to be okay. This person's not Spanish, mm-hmm. so that makes it more the hurdle for you to to to. to the hurdle for you to then convince them that you would that you are native is much higher because they're kind of they've got this dissonance between what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Um, yes, I yeah. enjoyed that though. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> so it sounds so much. Sounds like a lot it. of fun. It was fun. I remember being so cheeky and pretending I didn't speak any Spanish to people sometimes, <laughs> and then like yeah, surprising them. I'd suddenly launch into conversation. I was just I probably shouldn't have done that, but I was just testing things out, having fun. It was normally it you know, a concert or a, a night out or something. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and it was just, it was just a really magical time that, that high when you realize you're getting it. It's, it's something that I hope everyone who's passionate about a specific language can, can achieve because it's there's, such a cool feeling. There's like seven different avenues I want to go down at this point, but I'm going to have to choose. Would you, would you describe yourself as a, technical learner or an intuitive learner I started off technical because I wanted to pass my exams um and I knew that it wasn't about how naturally you spoke it was about how well you fulfilled criteria um but then after a while I didn't bother so much with the technical I never read up on grammar really I I still to this day don't properly know where to put the accents and and dashes and things um and my grammar isn't great I don't think I could explain to you the difference between said and estad (laughs) but um but yeah I just learned through through immersion basically and that was absolutely the most effective way but it means that on a downside if I were ever to work in in a Spanish-speaking professional role I would have big issues with my writing if I if I was in one if I were in one of those roles Sure. Yeah. I mean, that is a whole different thing, isn't it? Being able to use, being able to write. I mean, Asian languages are a good example of this because quite, quite apart from the, um, you know, written grammar and written vocabulary being different to spoken vocabulary and grammar uh, in, in most languages, in Asian languages, you've got this added hurdle of actually not knowing how to write the script like Chinese yeah. or, or Japanese and even native speakers more and more these days have to, they can't remember certain characters and mm-hmm. things. Um, the reason I asked you that question was because you, I, I was struck by how you mentioned at the beginning when you were at school, how you, you, you kind of took after these, these, these verb tables and grammar, like a dog to a bone. Mm. And then later when you were describing how you would, you were observing people's mouth movements, which are both very kind of almost technical traits. So I was, I was, I was wondering whether or not that's, that was a, a particular style you have but it seems like it might not have been the case and it was actually it was you ended up being going down a much kind of pure route of just complete immersion and yeah uh, and learning from there I definitely started um just wanting to pass exams and then as I went along I, that kind of went out the window because there wasn't there was nothing really more to pass um and with the mouth movement ones I just wanted to know why why do you sound Spanish when you speak English? And why do I sound English when I speak Spanish? That was really curious to me because I thought we were all pronouncing the same consonants and vowel sounds. And it turned out we were had different ways of pronouncing what is supposed to be this, you know, the same sound. Because um, it was when I was teaching Spanish students the phonetics and I was noticing that everyone was pronouncing it in the same way, but different to the way that I was showing them. And I was just really, really curious about that. And yeah, it was, I think I, I was looking at mouth shape first out of curiosity, and then I made it something that I really took note of. 
Do you think that that was because you were, that was one of the few things that you had left to really dominate or was it because, or was that fascination always there? I think it was, I think I've, I've still got so much to dominate. I mean, some, when I don't speak in a elegant way when I speak Spanish, um, I don't have a beautiful vocabulary or anything like that. I can speak good casual Spanish and I can throw out lots of phrases that people probably wouldn't expect. Um, but I think, yeah, it was just fascination. I've always been interested in sounds, the way people speak, why people sound different to other people. And uh, yeah, that was just one of the things that was fascinating to me. And then, you know, the, the big bonus was that I could make myself sound more and more like a native speaker. Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's it's striking me that you, you really have that or had that um, this real drive to be like a native. I mean, I did, did you feel because I remember when I was when I was young, I um I went through this phase of being unhappy being English and really wanting mm. to be be like I don't know what anything else really like Spanish French because they would just seem cool. Um, yeah, yeah. And part of my my psychology for for many years when I was younger was. I want to prove that I'm not an average monolingual English person. And I want to, I'm going to try so hard to learn this language because I want to prove that I can be Spanish like you or be French like you or Brazilian like you or, or whatever. Um, so did you feel that as well? Did you feel, what was your, what did I, what role did identity play in, in all of this for you? I think it was the desire to be different. Um, I think lots of teenagers want to be, different and special for some reason and I noticed that actually not many people are doing this I would like to you know it made me feel when I went out you know just on a normal night out with my friends in England I was just any old average girl but when I went out on a night out in Spain I was um you know able to kind of shock everyone and I felt funnier and I felt more interesting as well I wanted to be interesting and different and it sounds a bit sad saying it but that was definitely part of it i mean we all do really sad things when we're teenagers I, mean, yeah, I don't think it sounds sad at all i think i think i mean i think all teenagers go through this and like you've got you've got choices right some people are going to turn to to video games other people are going to retreat into books other people are going to use use languages for this i remember when i was i spent a bit of time in argentina and i remember reading reading a, an article by a british journalist who was living in argentina who would who would say that, um, used to say that being British was an embarrassingly easy way to impress people in, uh, in Buenos Aires. And, uh, but, uh, which, but it's completely true because, mm. I mean, I don't know anymore, but when I was there in 2005-ish time, um, despite the whole Falkland Islands thing, uh, Argentines have always, they've, they've always been very, at least the people I met have always been extremely, um, extremely fond of, um, Britain and British and our, and our, and our culture. And I would, and I would experience that exact same thing. Every people, every person that I, that I met would be just extremely thrilled to meet me. And obviously that's a real buzz, Yeah. but, but I can't take any credit for, uh, for the, for that, for that fact that, you know, just this British guy turning up, but it does, you know, as a young person, it gives you a, gives you a boost for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And I think I did like, the feeling of um, being maybe when I went on a, on Erasmus, for example, I did a semester in Madrid um, and I liked that I was the only British person making an effort to hang out with Spanish people because there was a, another group of them and they just hung out together and, and didn't really try. And, and I, I'm not sure if I felt better than them. I just, I liked not being like that and, uh, and pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Are there any specific activities or study routines or anything that you remember doing a lot of when when you were when you were in Spain when you were kind of really working on your Spanish? Yes, um, I absolutely loved idioms and little slang phrases, and that's why I teach so many of them on my channel because they gave me a real buzz. I hope I can give that same buzz to my students uh, when you use one correctly with a speaker of that language and they they kind of say, ah, where did you learn that? You just smile to yourself. Um, but yeah, if I didn't understand something, I wouldn't let it go. So I'd note it down. I, my ex-partner, he wasn't very good at explaining things to me, which 
in a way was a blessing because I did have to just work things out and kind of kind I, I wasn't given a definition for things I just had to understand from the context what things meant it led to many misunderstandings um but if there was something that I truly didn't understand I would not let it go I would pursue it <laughs> until I found the answer and I could use it comfortably so writing things down and the same for I was just always a little bit wired so if I was riding on a bus and I saw for example I don't know a pigeon and I always think like what's that in Spanish and if I didn't know it I would write it down in my notes app on my iPhone and then I'd look at I'd always look it up maybe a couple of days later I'd have five words that I'd noted down I'd always look those up as well so I that was one thing I never ever let anything go um it's just like writing down every appointment you have now or putting everything in your calendar it's just something you you have to get into your head because if you don't do it in the moment you won't do it later and I think what that, what that shows is, is that is that quality again it's just a rational passion it's just tenacity that 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 just gives you this this that is such a key driver of of success because this thing of I mean just take that as, as an example um like you know writing writing down um single words and looking up single words you know it, it's often it's, it's it's fashionable to especially in the kind of world of online language learning it's fashionable to say oh you know kind of you know rote memory memorizing words looking up single words is not the way to learn languages and it's true that it's not because if, you, if all you did was look up single words you wouldn't you wouldn't get very far mm. um, but then that done in the context of masses of immersion and then look and then and then improving your level one word at a time until you get where you want to go is is the is an extremely uh, good strategy yeah it was filling in the gaps you know, I should know that word. Yeah. So I need to make sure I know it. Um, yeah, I, it was rather than following a course and learning, you know, today we're going to learn about travel, tomorrow we're going to learn about food. It was just going through life, going through my everyday life. And even in when I was in England, I still used to do this because I'm going to need all of these words of around me that I do every day. Um, yeah, so I, I saw it as logical and I still see it as logical and I, I definitely encourage my students to do that this is a difficult question so Ooh. tackle it tackle it whichever way you like um okay. what you've described is an amazing experience and it's an incredible opportunity a lot of my best languages i learned in similar surroundings when i was young had a fantastic environment in which to learn languages um but the question that often that as teachers we know we have to deal with is for is that for regular adults who don't have the, the kind of opportunity that you've described there especially at mm -hmm. such a young age um who are trying to learn languages in their spare time fitting it in around everything else there's this big kind of question of what well, what's you know i can't go to spain for five years so how, how do what's... i do things so i don't expect you to I, I, my question is not what do you say to 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 those to people in that, in that situation because i think it, it's it's quite a Tried, tried and tested topic but what i wanted to ask you was give, given that if you had to learn another language now maybe you are learning another language it would be interesting to hear having had that experience of like total immersion and and um and uh and all-consuming passion for a language when you were when you were younger what would you what, what have you learned from that that you would bring into a new long a language project now at a kind of later stage in your life um, knowing what you know it is a tough one because I'm experiencing what you're saying now um, with keeping up with Spanish and I was learning Italian and I've kind of let that go a bit life gets busier priorities change um, work gets into the in the way and I also am very aware that a lot of adults don't necessarily want to learn a language often they feel they have to um, to progress professionally or I don't know if socially really, but I think a lot of people, you know, they would rather not, um, but they do feel they have to. And I really, I really feel sorry for those people because as Brits, we don't ever really have that pressure. Um, no, I was going to say, who, are you, what, what people are you talking about there? Is, is this people in the, in the English learning community? Yeah. Like when I lived in Spain and I was teaching Spanish, yeah. a lot of these students were trying to get enough points to pass their civil service work exam or something like that and they had to prove that they had a b2 
but they had no desire to speak English after they'd got that exam. And I really felt yeah. for them that they were pressured to force and learn this language that they didn't want to learn. And it, and it was definitely much harder to motivate them. Um, but for those who do want to, but are just finding it hard and, you know, obviously can't just leave at the age of 17 and go abroad and fall in love with <laughs> Spaniard or something. Um, I would say that one thing that I absolutely love is just immersing myself with as much Spanish as possible. So for example, my goal was always to, well, I always thought I was gonna spend the rest of my life in Spain. And I had the names that I wanted to name my Spanish son, um, Diego and Alfonso. And now I have a dog called Diego and a cat called Alfonso. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so I'm still carrying that little bit with me. I carry on with the cooking. Um, I listen to a lot of Spanish music. I watch, I watch the odd Spanish TV show, but I do follow a lot of Spanish YouTubers and stuff. I just try and keep it alive. And once you get to a certain level and you can understand natural spoken Spanish or whatever language you're learning, it does become more enjoyable to kind of immerse yourself as much as physically possible from a distance. Mm. And also, I know it's it's not um, an option in lockdown at the moment, but always having that next trip to look forward to. Um, when I'm visiting Italy or visiting Spain, I always really step up the brushing up of my language skills before going there. And it's not, I don't even have to force myself to do it. I just know that, you know, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what's going on in the news so I can discuss it with people and things like that. Um, but it is a tough one. It is a tough one. And I, I'm experiencing it right now. I mean, I guess I was um, thinking more in terms of starting a new language method wise. I mean, um, maybe I'll take this, maybe I'll approach this from a, from a different angle. How does, as an English teacher mm-hmm. and a very experienced English teacher, how does what, what, how does what you learnt in your own Spanish journey affect how you teach? Oh, it's massive. <laughs> um, if you look at most of my videos on YouTube, they're all about, I'd say maybe 30%, which is, they're so varied that that's quite a large chunk, are about taking what you already know and then finding lots of alternatives for it. So taking a phrase that's really common and maybe overused or a word like very, for example, and then showing lots of other ways that you can replace this word or phrase with other natural sounding words and phrases. That's a big part of it. Um, And when I teach pronunciation, I really focus on mouth shape and tongue position. And I'm not afraid to get that camera right up in my mouth (laughs) to show them because, you know, lots of students and learners of English don't have that luxury of being able to stare a native speaker in the mouth um, like I did. So, yeah, that's what I try and give to them. And um, I would definitely say the biggest thing is working on general fluency rather than accuracy. Um, You know, I could hold a conversation and sound more or less like a native speaker, but I would make a lot of mistakes. And I would much rather be like that than speak absolutely perfect, word for word, perfect Spanish um, but sound like a robot. I think it's all about trying to sound natural and just, you know, what's the odd mistake? M- making a note of it, but just carrying on and not not fretting about it too much. Do you think when you when you're when you're structuring your teaching videos, when you're thinking about what to do on your channel, do you draw on on your experience with Spanish a lot? Yes, absolutely. And that's another point I wanted to make about you know you're filling the gaps. So it's not in chronological order. It's not a course. There's no curriculum. It is just, you know, are you lacking this or not? No, I already know that. Okay, don't watch the video. Are you lacking this now? I'm like offering them lots of different lessons. You know, you might need this, you might not need that. Choose um, your own adventure. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's um, just, I, I look at my comment section. I look at the messages from students. I chat with students from time to time and I pick up on the mistakes that lots of them are making and try and cater a video to that mistake. So hopefully they can, they can improve on it. Yeah, and you're and you're. And what, I guess what you're what it, what it seems like you're doing there is is drawing on that experience of yours of really um, 
always monitoring your own language use or always monitoring and analyzing your own Spanish, trying to identify those gaps and then and then just ratcheting yourself up one one step at a time. Yes. A, that's there's a very clear link. Exactly. And I've never uh, I mean, I passed my A level, but I've never done a proficiency exam or anything like that in Spanish. And I've never felt the need um, mm. because I think my level changes all the time. <laughs> it depends how tired I am. <laughs> it depends mm. how how much I've been around other Spanish speakers. Um, and that's just that's just not an, for me. It's not an interesting way of learning. A language. That is one of the effects of um, you know when when you've when you've really lived the language. You, I mean, that's when you get closest to the kind of truth of uh, of, of a language or, or culture, or what it what it really means to to be or exist in that language. You know, with that with that emotional and kind of family connection that, that you've had. Like, one once you've had that experience it puts you in a place where you really kind of have nothing to prove to anyone or, or, or yourself. And I've had this, this experience as well, where you kind of then think about exams and other, other things, other kind of more structured institutional things to do with the learning of that language. And it really stops meaning. It doesn't mean anything yes. because, because you've already kind of reached the, the, sounds wrong to say it, i guess but you're going to reach the, the top of the tree um and you've, you've had the most authentic experience possible of that language and so there's nothing really that could add any more meaning to to that language for you in your life yeah i don't think a certificate or a, a grade would add any more meaning um i guess i'm i'm privileged in the sense that i don't need to pass an exam to progress at the moment everything could change um and i know that a lot of people you know they do want something physical that they can put on their cv or something like that and i doing an exam is not going to ruin your language skills at all it just might you know take you away from doing something you actually enjoy um and something that builds up you know the casual part of your english or your french or whatever yeah or conversely for a lot of people who don't have the the kind of immersion experience that that that, that you or i have had the exam actually brings structure and mm. gives a sense of progress yes, and something to aim true. for where, where, where that lack, where that's lacking in other, in other parts of their life. I do, I do yeah. think it's, um, I do think it's a very unique and helpful balance that you've, that you've got there at this, you know, with your kind of language CV as it were, because I often find that, that, that teachers who haven't, learned other languages to a, any kind of meaningful level i always ask myself the question well how can you actually be teaching a language if you haven't experienced this yourself i i really feel that teachers should have one whatever they are teaching their students they should have experienced that thing to at least one one level higher so that they can they can they can teach it with a certain degree of of wisdom mm. and i often feel that I know this is a, a controversial topic, but uh, I kind of feel that I've often observed that teachers who haven't done much language learning themselves can tend to have a rather one-dimensional approach to teaching language. But I, I think that the, this experience that you've had on the one hand of, of, of really living, learning and living a language together with this teaching experience of working with students and and like you say, going through the comments, looking at what they're struggling with. I think it, it, it gives you the, the really unique ability to help people because you're not just throwing stuff at them that you've learned in your CELTA course or from a textbook. You're, 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 you're doing everything through the lens of having done it yourself and understanding what it means to people. Yes, I, I agree to a certain extent. I mean, I can't get out of my head that one of my favorite teachers that I worked in Seville with didn't speak another language and when I first met them I thought you know this could be interesting because we started at roughly the same time but they were just so amazing at, at getting the, the class motivated um, but actually it's something that I get accused of quite a lot when I get criticism from other teachers it, it, like you don't even speak another language it's like the automatic go-to one even though I do it's just you know, yeah I guess well. it's quite hard to find to find out although I do reference it a bit um, but yes I do think it is a massive asset um, as an English or as a language teacher to 
have already gone through the, the process of language acquisition. And it doesn't even have to be to a high level. It's just understanding the, the struggle. And yeah. I, I don't know many teachers actually nowadays that don't have at least some sort of side project of language learning, because it's not just about being passionate about learning your language. It's just about lang languages in general, I find most teachers want to do. Yeah, well, that would be, I mean, I hope you're right because that would be a fantastic, fantastic change. I, I, oh no, I, I could talk. For, I, I, I'm really tempted to go down this rabbit hole of, uh, of teachers and language learning, but I'm not going to because that's a different topic, and uh, I don't want to get into trouble. Um, I want to ask you, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But I think having 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 talked about your, I mean, it's such a, a, a fascinating journey you've been through. I feel kind of remiss if we didn't tied together that story to where you are now are you oh, yes. comfortable talking about yeah of course how, it, how that time in Spain wound down just yes. for the sake of uh, rounding off the story yeah I had to do a um so I did my what would have been my placement year but it ended up being my year of teaching it was never the plan um and then I did have to go back to the UK without my partner um because he had to stay in Spain and finish off his university degree I had to finish off mine my last year of uni and um I actually, there, I, I had the idea, I, I don't know how much to say really. My ex-partner was quite a, a jealous person and I'd had the, the idea of creating a YouTube channel for a while and he wasn't very happy about me, maybe showing myself on the internet. So obviously that relationship had to come to an end. Um, and I did go ahead with the, the YouTube channel and I did that in the second half of my final year of university. And I worked on that for two years and then I was actually about to move to Barcelona, but I needed to pass my driving test uh, before I left because, I mean, if I couldn't pass it, <laughs> I wasn't going to have a chance in Spanish um, on the other side of the road as well. I'm a terrible, well, I probably shouldn't say I'm a terrible driver. I find driving extremely challenging and I found passing the test very challenging. Um, but in, in that time, I met my fiancé, William. And I kept failing my driving test and we kept going on more, more dates in the meantime because you had to wait three weeks after each test before you could retake it. And in the end, it came to the point where I thought, you know, I'm not sure if I should actually move to Barcelona <laughs> because I quite like this person. Um, and I'd never felt like that before. So in the end, yeah, the life took a massive detour. And I'm, I'm very glad that it did. I am sad that he's a farmer and we can't spend that much time in Spain. Um, but life is full of sacrifices, isn't it? So just have to see. I'm trying to think if there is a, an appropriate Spanish proverb here, but Ooh, one's not coming to mind. I don't know mind. many proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, thank you, thank you for for being so open about that, and uh, thank you for being so 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 generous with the story. Um, uh, I, I I found it extremely interesting and um, and, uh, and 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 nice to hear. So I hope I hope everyone listening has uh, has enjoyed it as well. Um, what would you what would you like to what should my audience know about you? What would you like? Where where should people go? Um, what would you like to? What would be yes. your parting your parting words? Nothing. <laughs> I just oh come on I know. <laughs> not, not every come on people would people tell them where to go at least I um I just I hope they they really enjoy their language acquisition journey as much as they possibly can and if they do want to follow a little bit more of my journey I share more of my personal life on a personal channel um called Lucy Bella Earl and that's where I blog I have been blogging my life here on the farm and hope to continue and they're all subtitled in case that helps at all, though I guess most of your your audience knows English anyway. And I have released recently a pronunciation course as well, which is called Epiphany Language Studios. And um, yeah, I've added a little code, which is Ollie fifteen. You can get fifteen percent off. That's very generous. So Ollie fifteen O L L Y one five. That's exactly. Tell us about and and then so yeah, see, I hadn't thought about this before, but actually we've so pronunciation course. We've spoken a lot about pronunciation during this conversation. So is there a link there? Is there? Yes, a... absolutely. I drew from my own experiences when creating this course mm. and it mainly focuses on mouth shape, tongue position, and just how we pronounce in modern received pronunciation, each individual phoneme and they're just the building blocks to then go on, put them together, 
and hopefully improve your pronunciation. I, I think I have a feeling you might be a lot more technical than you think. <laughs> I, I've noticed that thread through this conversation, but anyway. So this is this. So this course is for teaching British, re, British received pronunciation. Is that right? Modern received pronunciation. Modern received pronunciation. Yes. Fantastic. The Queen okay. speaks more received pronunciation. Received pronunciation. Yes, I'm not quite that that posh. <laughs> so what, what do you call it again? Modern. Modern received pronunciation. Modern received pronunciation. Okay. So my accent, I've got hints of estuary in there. It depends who I'm speaking with as well. I'm being totally honest. If I'm talking to my mum, I sometimes go full estuary, but <laughs> it just depends. Yeah, it's funny because um, to, to me, we kind of sound quite, we, we have a very similar accent, but people are always telling yes. me that I'm Australian, which I've never understood. I think, well, when, I think when you learn lots of languages, you sometimes yeah. end up molding. I mean, I find myself, if I'm speaking to a group of Spanish speakers, I will end up putting S's, the sound on the end of words instead of Z. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say, do you have any plans? Instead <laughs> of <the> plans. Um, <laughs> you sound like a bit that. Kiwi there. <laughs> Not intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I've certainly noticed also um, from years living and teaching abroad, mm. having to, I think my English has become a lot clearer for the sake of, you know, non, uh, of uh, people students a lot of the time yes wanting to absolutely. understand me and it's kind of you know years of doing that's going to rub off on on anybody so um so epiphany language studios and that's your pronunciation course and people can get 15 percent off if they they i guess well we'll put a link here um but they could also just search for epiphany language studios and use the code ollie 15 if they'd like to check that out is that right and is this suitable for any level what what levels is it aimed at you definitely want a basic level um, of english to be able to understand it um, but it can go up to any level. So for people who are more advanced, will yes. be suitable for them as well. It's all about looking at the phonemes individually. Wonderful. So if you're listening to this and you'd like to speak like Lucy, <laughs> now you can. <laughs> Wonderful, Lucy, thank you so much. And um, well, we'll have to do this again sometime. Thank you for having me. When people ask me how to progress from the beginner levels in a language up to the higher levels, I always come back to one thing. Read, 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 read. Well, that's five things, but it's, it's the same thing, right? It's read. Now, why is reading so important? It's because you get to immerse yourself in the sounds of the language. You flood your brain with words and phrases and grammar in context. So it's impossible for you not to learn tons and tons of stuff. As long as the stuff that you're reading is at the right level for you. Because as you've probably experienced, it can be difficult to find interesting reading material that is at the right level for you. You know, if you try and read a novel, it's far too hard and you struggle to make it beyond the first page. Anyway, that is why a number of years ago now, I wrote some books of short stories, which are specifically designed to help you break out of the beginner level by beginning to read in your target language so that you can enjoy yourself and finally, finally experience what it's like to read in your target language so that you can grow your vocabulary, you can improve your grammar and do all the great things that come with reading. And in fact, these books were so popular that I ended up uh, joining forces with the famous publisher Teach Yourself and we developed these books into a brand new series which are now in the bookshops everywhere all around the world and we started with six languages we've now got 16 languages including everything from spanish to german to icelandic to turkish to arabic we've got these short stories in so many different languages and i'm so proud of these books if you'd like to find out more about them and pick up a copy you can go to iwillteachyoualanguage.com forward slash books that's iwillteachyoualanguage.com forward slash books you can get the Kindle version, the paperback version, and because many people miss this, we also have the audio version so that you can actually listen along as you read, which is one of my favorite techniques for making sure that vocabulary sticks. Anyway, check them out. You'll love them, particularly the covers, which I think are probably the best covers for any language books ever written anywhere in the history of time. I, I particularly like these books. I will teach you a language.com forward slash books.